Hey, Marco. What's up, Dan? Um, nothing much, but my watch seems to be broken. Do you happen to have the current star date? Yeah, of course. Who doesn't have the current star date? The current star date is negative three zero two three eight two point nine one four one zero five one nine one three. That's a long one. Does that help, Dan? <laughs> Just a sec. Perfect. Thank you very much. Yeah, I got watch you. Watch is synced up. We're ready to go. Hello, yeah. hello. Yeah, fans. Well, welcome to the feature length podcast, episode two. We're back. This time around, we know people kind of know who we are. Um, we're a podcast, and we just talk about movies and TV slash whatever we want to. That's the basic premise, and it's we probably talk for the length of a feature movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Welcome. Um, I'm What's Carolina. Your name? Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm Marco. And I'm Daniel. We're the we're the hosts, I guess. We just <laughs> we just talk to each other. <laughs> hosts, yeah. Hosts of the um, podcast. So first and foremost, shout out to everyone who listened to our first episode. Because yeah. we were expecting to have negative viewership on that. So okay, if I you did listen 10, to the first episode. <laughs> ten people max, sure. not negative. Um, yeah, so that was really cool of you. If you listened to our first episode, we hope you continue to listen to our episodes. And, you know, if you like it, again, show a friend, even though they won't be looking at anything because it's a podcast. But, yeah, hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed. So, uh, Carol, what are we talking about today? Yeah, this week we're talking about Fleabag, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. Um... Uh, to give a brief description in case someone is listening and hasn't watched I mean first of all we're going to be giving spoilers so I do recommend that you go and watch it before you listen to this if you have any interest to it's just two seasons six episodes each each episode's like 30 minutes so pretty bingeable um but it's a this is from the internet so um, I'm plagiarizing it but it's a fourth wall breaking dark comedy series about a woman in London trying to come to terms with a recent tragedy this is where the spoilers come in the death of her best friend and business partner um, but it's generally a show about trying to navigate her life running a business and dealing with a really complicated family dynamic and it's just really funny but also really sad and heartbreaking and relatable yeah so that's what we're talking about today yeah so, uh, keeping with the theme of last week's episode a little bit, um, one of us has not seen Fleabag before today, so maybe let's save that person's opinion for last, since I'm <laughs> assuming they'll probably have to come in and do the most talking up front. Um, I will quickly well, just start off by saying... Yeah. <laughs> I will start off by saying uh, I saw F- Fleabag for the first time. Uh, I think about four months ago now, whenever quarantine started. I don't know. I've lost track of time entirely. Um, And then I also, a few months later, watched the original one-man stage play type thing that it was based... One woman. One woman. (laughs) Yeah. Stage play that it was based off of. Um, Yeah. And, you know, no surprise here, but I really like it. So we'll just leave that there for now. Carol, what what are your general... yeah um so i am obsessed with the show i watched it oh god i I also don't know time but right like a few months after the series ended i would say maybe 
um, because I watched a YouTube video and a guy said that season two of Fleabag was one of his best shows of 2019 and he was talking about just how perfect the season two episode one was and I just was like okay I'm gonna watch it I had prime I became obsessed I told everyone I knew to watch it I have now seen it four times each time has been with a different person who I forced to watch it um I watched the one woman show I'm just I am absolutely obsessed with it <laughs> which is why it's our second episode <laughs> But Dan has never seen it. All right, it. I guess it's yeah, it's my turn now. Um, so yeah, like Carol just said, I had never even heard of this actually before. Um, we were playing around with episodes for, or sorry, ideas for this episode. Um, I've never, I still haven't seen the um, the actual play that it was based on. And I was surprised to see that it was based on a play, but uh, I just watched it this past week for this episode, and I absolutely loved it. I, well, I should say I loved season one, <laughs> and I adored season two even more. Like, yes. I couldn't believe how much better it got in season two because of how good season one was. But yeah, it was fantastic, and we're gonna go into detail, obviously. But the first thing I wanted to say, and this like hit home with me, is excellent, excellent editing across the entire series. <laughs> like, it was, it almost seemed experimental, but it was so good. I really just wanted to get that out there. See, and that's so, yeah, something I that was my... didn't pick up on. <laughs> yeah, I didn't pick up on that at all, but that's why we have Dan the professional here. Yeah. <laughs> Good job keeping... Stop spreading keeping... rumors, Marco. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Last time we said you were the professional of the podcast. You have to keep it going. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's right. At some point, Marco's got to chime in with... J.R. Tolkien. What would J.R. Tolkien think? It'll happen. It'll happen. Trust the process. Um, yeah, so that was... Anyway, that was just my little spiel here, my first impression. Um, I I don't want to speak too soon, but it might be one of the best series I've ever watched. Like, I really liked it a lot. Hell yeah. yeah seriously. <laughs> and thank you guys for uh, suggesting it to begin with. Yeah, it's great. My pleasure. Um, this is now my life's journey. Like, this is all I meant <laughs> to do, I think. So... You're like <laughs> an evangelicalist for Fleabag, yeah. specifically. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just go around and, show and spread the gospel yeah. of Phoebe Waller Bridge. <laughs> um, <sighs> Carol, yeah, go on, go off a little bit here. Obviously, you are the biggest fan out of all of us, so I'd like to get some of your thoughts up front. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to note first of all, I felt a similar sentiment. Season one was so so good, um, and then it's surprising season two got better. But for those who haven't watched the stage play, it's kind of more inaccessible. You had to, like, pay for it, and it was only released to raise money for COVID um, yeah. for people on the front lines, so that totally makes sense. Um, but, yeah, season one was what was the stage play, what was taken from the stage play, because she wrote it kind of as a personal challenge. Her friend was like, hey, can you take a 10-minute story and turn it into a 70-minute one-woman show? And she's like, sure, why not? And so she did and performed it in, like, 2013. And so most of the events that happened in season one in a different order and kind of different circumstances were from that play. And then season two wasn't really supposed to happen because she's like, it's just based on this play. What am I going to write? But she just kind of came up with a totally new idea. Um, and it just worked so well. Oh, okay. So, so, so well. only season one was... Yeah. Season one was... It ended a little bit differently, but yeah. So. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I didn't know that. I assumed when I read about it being based off a play, I assumed it was the whole thing. Like, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't know either. Um, and I think my first time watching, um, I, I have the same sentiment as you guys. I really like season one. Season one's really good. Season two is like one of the best seasons of Next television level. ever. Like, it's incredible. And so I just kind of shocked it up to, you know, just after having done it once and, you know, bringing everything back to it. But I think, um, yeah, one of the interesting things about, like, having seen the stage play and then thinking back on season one, the stuff in season one that's, like, excellent is all kind of in the stage play. And I think you can see a little bit where it was like, okay, we need to, like, flesh out the story a little bit and add some stuff to make it a series. And I think that's what holds it from being as good as season two. But I think by the time you get to season two, it's like we're building something from scratch and we know what we're doing. And we're not, like... Because the first season is basically an adaptation, right? So there's a lot more that goes into that. Whereas season two, since you're doing it from scratch, um, I think it flows a little bit better. And also, I think she probably had more of a sense of, like, who the characters are and how far you can push the boundaries. Like, season two does get into some really experimental stuff, like Dan was saying, how, the like, the camera... It does, yeah. ...becomes, like, a conceptual idea. A for character. Some, yeah, it's like a character in and of itself. It's really cool. Um, yeah, but I share that sentiment with you guys as well about the quality of the seasons. It's also sort of like it's very respectable learning that season two was an original script having it as an adaptation see like i guess is limiting in a way and like comes with its own challenges and so yeah so impressive that they were able to pull it off but i think yeah being able to like starting to write season two knowing it's going to be a visual thing must have been like so exciting for her <laughs> just to write yeah. like you have so much more room to play with um but yeah, I think we've done enough, like, just general talking about the show. Um, sure. So all maybe... right, guys, thanks for listening yeah. to the episode. <laughs> yeah, and that's all we wanted to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe we can get into some character talk. All right. Go yeah. ahead. Name someone. So Favorite characters? Yeah. Who is your favorite character? Dan, I want you to begin. Oh, me? Yes. Okay. Um... I think okay. I think my favorite character—it's tough, but I'm—I think it was Claire, um, main characters. Oh, actually, Which you know what? Claire? <laughs> Before we go, yeah, uh, female Claire, <laughs> main character sister. Um, but before we actually go into this, we should probably mention that a lot of the characters are not named. Yeah, mm-hmm. like they're not explicitly named. Um, and I wanted to ask because I noticed, like, looking at the credits after each episode. Um, almost all of the characters that are named are the female characters except for I think two there's Harry and there's Martin and both of those characters are kind of um, like on the antagonistic side so I was thinking how cool it was this might be just my headcanon too but it's almost like even in the credits they're working in um, it, it, it like even the credits seem Deliberate. feminist not like yeah, and it was so cool. Like, I've never seen a movement like, for example, feminism in a production being worked into the credits itself. So maybe, again, that might be just something that I'm noticing, but I thought that was super cool. I don't know, like, because what do you guys think of... Do you think it's deliberate that um, almost all of the uh, characters named are female and not even all of the 
named characters or sorry not even all of the female characters are named i think that it is inherently a feminist show and i okay when i first watched it i was like oh it's so interesting that some of the characters aren't named but i didn't really think about it farther because i was just so like still wrapped up in thinking about like more of the emotions that the show brought out in me but upon doing research and like reflecting on it for a bit i think it might just be because us as the audience and the camera were kind of like in Fleabag's head so it makes sense that people who she wouldn't explicitly name by name like her father why would she call him by his first name we don't know his name he's just dad Claire obviously her sister she'll call by her first name but like her godmother she just calls godmother probably because she's such a horrible person that she doesn't even like need to address her by her first name because she doesn't think about her that often so I think it might just be that like it, it was kind of like people who you like you, she calls her boyfriend by his name obviously but yeah I don't know I don't know if it was that but then why wouldn't we know the priest's name I guess I don't know that's that was that's what I was gonna say yeah it. yeah I think um I'm, a, I'm of two minds about it I think for season one Honestly, I think it probably came more from like the adaptation of we're adapting a stage play and some people were named, some people weren't, and just kind of sticking with that. Um, maybe even just as, I don't want to say as a joke, but just as a deliberate kind of specific thing. And then potentially in season two, um, it does kind of take on a different meaning than that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's really interesting. I don't think there's like an actual explanation from her on why that's the case, but... I, I would assume it probably just started as a thing that was happening because of the stage play, and then it was like, oh, this is a cool opportunity to do something unique with it. That could be right, too. I, I actually didn't think about that. That Again, it, it is adapted from a stage play, so good point. But I do like um, but yeah, I just I attributed it to feminism immediately. Love that. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was so cool. Like. <laughs> If it if it is right, I I might be just like making this up, but I have just never seen that before, where like a movement is worked into the very credits, like the credits are so yeah. that's after the show, you know. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I think yeah. it definitely could be one of those things where it's like, oh, this is a cool opportunity that's been given to us because of the stage play, so let's take that opportunity to do something interesting with it. Um, yeah, which yeah, I would it could assume, be a mixture of things. Yeah, and I just want to point out like. Obviously, we're going to keep talking about characters, but because I was going to say, like, Phoebe Waller-Bridge isn't a hack. Like, of course, she would, like, pay attention to stuff like that. It goes yeah. further than her not being a hack. She's probably, like, one of the best writers currently she's writing. She's a genius, yeah. Like, full stop. Uh, yeah. She's I mean, she's a great actress, too, but she's, like, first and foremost, just, like, a phenomenal writer. And I was surprised to see that the um, Phoebe, sorry, Phoebe waller bridge right yep. yeah yeah is her name um that she was like the star and also the writer director that was yeah. really impressive too. it's cool um something i want to point out and listen i'm sure people that go on to listen to this podcast will know that i'm going to talk about a lot of things from the writing angle because that's kind of where how i came to movies but something that i found interesting was in the like i guess like british tv model um it really is built more around like one person's vision right so she wrote like every episode and like she potentially had and i don't know the full details she potentially had a writer's room of people like helping her flesh out scripts and stories but ultimately it was her that sat down and like wrote every single one um 
which isn't necessarily how things work in the American model. In fact, like in most American shows, you have a writer's room and then everyone in the room like gets an opportunity to write a script, which, which sometimes works out, sometimes doesn't. Um, really, the only case I can think of where that's not true is actually like Aaron Sorkin in The West Wing, where he was like, nah, like I'm Aaron Sorkin. I'm going to write every episode of this show. <laughs> I don't care. Um, we'll have a whole episode yeah, but on it. it. <laughs> yeah, one day. But it's like, I, I really like that model. Unless you're doing something that's specifically like episodic, where like every episode's kind of its own thing. But if you're telling one long story, I really like the British model of let's just bring on someone and have them write the whole thing out. And yeah, we'll give them resources to like bounce ideas around on and flesh things out on. But I mean, ultimately, it's all her. Um, yeah, she's a phenomenal writer and a great actress. So just one. I'm sure we'll talk about her more, but just going to leave yeah. that there. I guess we'll go back to favorite characters and. So as I was saying, um, Claire, the sister of the main character, who we'll refer to as Fleabag, because that's what the credits refer to her as, um, I think she was my favorite character. I liked her journey from beginning of season one all the way to the end. And I also just liked any scene that um, Fleabag and Claire shared together. It was really great. Yeah, yeah they have really good chemistry together. Yeah, seeing the relationship flesh out through the seasons was also really nice. All right, Carol, who are uh, some of your favorite characters, if you had to pick some? <laughs> Funnily enough, I knew I was going to ask that question, and I didn't think about it. Um, mm. <laughs> um, the priest, easy. Um, yeah. But that's probably because I'm attracted to him, so like, I don't think I can <laughs> let that. <laughs> I don't think it's fair for me to say the priest solely because I am attracted to him, so I think I'm going to change it. Um, so yeah, I maybe Fleabag herself. Martin, I think, was the most interesting, and I hated him the most, and was, like, more attached to Mm. watching his story progress, and ultimately, I wanted to see him suffer, so the finale, which I'm sure we'll get to, was fantastic, Um, and also just the actor who plays him was so good at being an asshole, so for that reason... Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen him... He's in, um... He's in Stranger Things, right? And he is a dick and strange how did i too, not yeah. make that connection i knew i've seen <laughs> yeah. him somewhere before and for some reason just hadn't looked yeah. it up he's 100 percent strange things yes. yeah i mean he, listen the dude's like a famous actor he's been so in a lot good. of stuff but like i know him from stranger things so yeah, that's the last <laughs> so he's thing. from stranger things yeah yeah, yeah. Oh. oh stranger things connections yeah. but from the last podcast there was also we- a stranger things connection well, what was Sam it? was in was in Stranger Things. Oh yeah, the, what, That's I don't right. remember the actor's name. Sorry to him right now. I know it somewhere. Sean Astin. Sean yeah. Astin. Yeah, he came to Windsor Comic Con. He gave a speech yeah, thing oh. that we did. We were like within fifteen feet of. Him or we were like the I got people, a really blurry photo. The people in front of us, like going into his hall, were like the last people to get accepted, and then they were like, "Sorry guys, we can't let you in." Oh yeah, that's right. That was awful. They yeah, like just to like rub it in there like uh sorry you're like one minute late yeah. we can't oh let you my in god ouch so carol i'm gonna say since you gave up on the priest i'm gonna pick the priest <laughs> as my favorite character <laughs> yeah because you can't say the attracted <laughs> is the no attracted i can't say the reason you like him that's not why for me no i just um <laughs> well you can i mean i'm not going to that's not the reason why i mean first of all <laughs> he is great like he's great in sherlock i love him Let's just put that out there as an actor. Um, but, no, the reason I, I picked him... Um, I, 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 he's, like, just so engaging whenever he's on screen. And 
like the way they play with him like also being able to break the fourth wall like the first time it happened i was like oh shit like this is crazy like i've never seen anything like this before where it's like like yeah it, it was just i don't know that whole character and like what he represents in Fleabag's life was just really interesting to me and it was one of the few times in like a long time where i like saw a character on screen and was like i've legitimately never seen a character like this on screen before like a like a character that like halfway through the story like is able to break the fourth wall and calls out other people on doing it but just yeah i mean also his structure within the story as well yeah he's great and he's he's definitely i think my favorite character um i want to give a shout out in the first season to the ugly guy um, <laughs> um they call him bus rodent in the credits <laughs> yes <laughs> i don't really like him but i just thought he was funny so shout out to him um I think bridging off of what you were talking about with uh, fourth wall breaking, we should mention that the crux of the series is that the main character, Fleabag, is able to talk to the audience, or either talk to the audience or really talking to herself, but wear her conscience, I guess, as the audience. And um, when she meets this priest character who um, comes in in season two, the series is kind of elevated to the next step because he is able to sort of key into like when she's talking to her conscience and even he starts to like break the fourth wall in the manner that she does and uh when it happens it's just super unexpected so i think that was a major that was a major turning point at least for me in the series that was one of my favorite moments i think that is without yeah, a doubt i think it's a yeah it was in yeah season two i think like episode like three or four but the first time it happened it felt almost like supernatural like seeing him break the fourth wall and like almost interact with us i was like oh what is happening this is weird like it felt ghostly for some reason it was (laughs) yeah it was a visceral experience i was gonna say i think that that partly goes to what dan was talking about which is the way it's like put together because it does it feels like it feels wrong it's like this should not be like he shouldn't be able to like do that or call her out on that um the way the scene's constructed it's great um do you guys have any i guess i guess you can call them theories i mean like outside of just her like reflecting inward and talking to her conscience and like him being able to see that do you guys have any like interesting theories on what's like literally happening there like that the fourth wall is supposed to represent it's interesting that you bring this up because it also bridges like it connects to something else i wanted to mention i wanted to make a point of mentioning which is like somewhere in season two i can't remember exactly where but i began to think like is this all actually just like is the plot an entire just metaphor or is there some sort of literal nature to it and in the end i did arrive on no it's like a literal story being told it's just a lot of the characters aren't named it's not just taking place inside you know someone's mind or whatever but um and then it was all yeah i assumed (laughs) yeah something like that but no i mean (laughs) yeah (laughs) at least for me i again i arrived on the fact that it was all it's a literal story um but yeah i think for me um her ability to like talk to us directly is just sort of her looking inward right and therefore like the priest's ability to do that too because he's a spiritual character um that's why he's he's able to um do that as well yeah 
Yeah, I read a bunch of, like, articles and, like, watched even, like, video essays about this, um, and everyone was kind of on the same page as you, Dan. It was kind of, like, most people agree, and I think I agree as well, that when she talks to us, it's her, like, thinking and being in her head, and people described it as, like, her dissociating, like, from, someone from the outside would see it that way, um, and so he, like, notices that and calls her out on it. Um, and, like, the whole reason that she even was able to make a second season, she said, is because she thought of incorporating a priest and, like, the connection to God and constant discussion with God is similar to most people's inner monologues and how often they'll talk. And, like, that's the only reason, like, the only way she said a second season would work was for someone to be able to cool. be on that plane and recognize that in her. But, yeah, that's that's what I think. That's what a lot of the internet thinks. <laughs> Yeah. I also like that it wasn't like it took place in real time when she looked inside her like when she self-reflected. It wasn't like saved by the bell style where like everything freezes and yeah. it could take as long as like she needs. No, it actually takes place like if a real person was just taking a moment to to like process something, you know? Exactly. The world moved around while she was doing it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why often it was just, like, a look to camera, because that's all you have time for sometimes without being, like, obviously ignoring the people you're yeah. with. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, genius. Yeah, that's great. I want to ask you guys about something from season one. We've talked a lot about season two because of the priest, obviously, and, yeah. like, that's great. But I, I was curious, at what point in season one did you, or maybe you didn't, cue into what was happening with her friend boo yeah like was that because it's played see so here's the thing i'm curious about right i kind of felt like i cued in pretty quickly as to what happened there within their relationship of like oh okay like like her boyfriend cheated with boo on with like <sighs> her boyfriend <laughs> cheated with fleabag and like whatever that stuff you know whatever happened follows from there well should we talk about Boo a little bit yeah, first? Yeah, let's, let's... I think, because we haven't really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Carol, do you want to take the reins on this? Yeah, so Boo was Fleabag's best and closest friend and business partner, and they opened a cafe together. Um, and at some point, Boo has a serious relationship with a man in her building, and they're, like, totally in love. And one night, Fleabag hooks up with him, and Boo finds out that the boyfriend cheated on her but not with who um and to get back at him she wants to hurt herself a little bit and go in the hospital to freak him out um and have him like come back and beg for forgiveness but unfortunately she ends up dying on accident and it's super sad <laughs> and that's kind of Fleabag's main trauma throughout both both seasons her inner conflict yeah sort of yeah so uh, yeah my question being was that something you guys cued into before it was fully revealed and if that's the case do you feel like as an audience member you were supposed to be ahead of the mystery on that one and kind of know what's going on and like the reveal doesn't matter as much as a surprise so just to clarify you're talking about the reveal that Fleabag is the one that yeah. um, cheated with her boy with Boo's boyfriend, 
to cause her to indirectly cause her death yeah because you see like quick cuts and she makes reference to stuff or whatever but it's not really explicit like made explicitly clear i think what until until it the second last episode uh, i think so yeah yeah so did you guys feel like you saw that coming or was it like a genuine shocking moment um i well i mean i definitely didn't see it coming i (laughs) didn't predict it at all so for me i'd have to say it was shocking yeah okay carol yeah i think i it was one of the earlier episodes like two or three maybe where all you saw was a flash of like her unbuttoning or not even necessarily her but like unbuttoning pants or like a belt or whatever and i think even just seeing that flash i was like oh maybe but i think i didn't want to believe it because i know like the entire show is tied around fleabag kind of like using sex as an escape and like that kind of being her main like i guess vice um but i don't know i just was like this is her closest and best friend i can't imagine her doing that but also i think it's important to mention that Fleabag's mother had died kind of before too and so she was trying to deal with that guilt and as mentioned sex is her main escape for that so that could be tied but yeah I don't know so I I thought so but I tried to think that it wasn't the case and it would be explained in some other way right I definitely fall more into I was pretty confident probably about halfway through that oh I think that's what happened um but regardless I think it like it goes to the quality of the writing in the show that even though it wasn't like the biggest like plot twist surprise moment it's still like it doesn't matter like even if you kind of know that a little bit um what actually happens from it and all that is still interesting enough that even if you kind of see it coming beforehand um it doesn't really matter one way or the other um i i did feel a bit more well i i don't want to talk about the stage play too much because that's not easily available and dan hasn't seen it but i feel like that element maybe worked a little bit better in the stage play not that it works bad in the show but i kind of preferred how it was executed there actually yeah not to like dwell on this too long but i'm curious how it was portrayed in the play of like do we get quick like hints that she was involved in some sort of like uh uh, like it well yeah like i'm just asking basically how is it portrayed in the play yeah. carol do you want to take have you seen the play as how many times because <laughs> i saw it the once <laughs> Just i don't once, know because you... i had a okay. link for it for only 48 hours yeah um honestly i don't remember because i just know kind of the entire season one happened in a flashback sort of in the play because yeah. like you know at the beginning of the show she's in the meeting to get alone with the guy and like takes her top off and it's a whole thing in the stage yep. play the beginning and the end of the play are in that exact same meeting so in between you kind of hear her like reminiscing on her shitty year or however long of a time period it was but i don't remember how the boo thing was brought up um i think i mean it was just done with obviously it's just her on stage so it yeah. was just done with like dialogue cues here and there the reason i think it works a little bit better in the stage play is because the stage play is only what an hour and a half yeah something like that 80 minutes Uh, yeah yeah and i I just feel like that type of mystery is kind of better suited to a more like condensed period of time whereas over the span of eight episodes it's kind of like 
it's over the span of eight episodes, but you can never go more than, let's say, two episodes without showing some reference to it. Otherwise, it'll feel really weird if at the end of the series it comes back up. And so, like, having that repeated interaction with the plot was, a li- like, I mean, th- there's no other, you know, choice to it. But for me, it was a little bit like, oh, okay, I think I see where this is going. Um, but, I mean, you know, obviously it was, like, executed the best possible way they could execute it from the play. And it's so essential to her character and to what the whole show's about that... It doesn't really matter one way or the other, but um, yeah, I was just curious to see how that part hit you guys. And while we're talking about Boo, I can't think of any better time to bring this up, but it's something that I keep forgetting to mention when I'm watching it with all of the friends that I make watch it. Um, (laughs) But at her mother's funeral, when Fleabag says like she doesn't know what to do with the love she had for her mother now that she's gone, and then Boo says, I'll take it. And then she dies like that. Just oof! I just, I just needed to say how that hard that hit me. Ah. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't. Incredibly. Yeah, I just had to say it. Yeah. <laughs> so I sad. should. I we we should point something out here. This is a really funny show. Like I know yeah. we're fixating oh, on is. plot elements yeah. that make it sound like this really intense drama. The show is like really. It's hysterical. It's, it's so funny. Yeah. yeah. And that's part of. Uh, that's really part of the genius. Yeah. Of, like it genre bends so well and it actually i'll just mention too when i was a few episodes in the first season i was thinking like oh i was really expecting this to be like a drama like a like a full-out drama and we get that like that definitely comes in later down the line but like all the way through even in the darkest parts it's still hilarious i think anyone could really enjoy this series yeah and I think that was kind of on purpose because even like the season one artwork is just like her sobbing with mascara running down her face and it just says flea bag. Um, but then the second season is like some mock stained glass window and she's pretending to be a saint holding her guinea pig Hillary. So like yeah. once you get to the second season, like the duality and like how funny it is is kind of more obvious. But if you just saw like the, the title screen for the first season, you're like, oh, this is going to be like sad yeah so i think they get you she does a really good job again speaking to her like as a writer writing this whole thing like both seasons first like scenes and i would say the entire first episode of the second season like so perfectly encapsulate the tone of the entire show where it's like after after seeing that it's like okay i'm totally on board for the flip-flopping that we're gonna do and it works perfectly well it's not like the show started in a super dramatic way and then when the dark comedy elements come in it doesn't work but it's like right from the get-go you're totally on board with everything that's happening um like the first episode like the first scene obviously is like really funny that's it's a funny scene do not watch but it like, with your parents i made that no. mistake yeah it's pretty pretty no. messed up pretty vulgar no. but um the entire like dinner in the second episode oh it's is great. like yeah fantastic it's just like oh this is like like her just in her prime just like every line of dialogue and like every cut every look to camera everything is so perfectly put together it's like yeah this perfectly encapsulates the entire show like this is yeah it's great but even her starting in the bathroom with a bloody nose telling us this is a love story Mm -hmm. like that that's the first line of dialogue like it's just it's perfect (laughs) yeah you're like oh what is this season gonna be like i'm ready to go you're strapped in yeah, it's fantastic. But I still didn't expect the love story that it ended up being, so she got me. Yeah. Well, not many people fall in love with priests. 
I mean, after this show, apparently many did. Yeah, well, that always happens. Remember after Avatar, when people were depressed, they didn't live on Pandora? <laughs> oh, my God. Like, guys, you want to, why would you want to live on Pandora? Like, grow up. <laughs> also, Pandora's no. fake, but that's not the, that's not the point. Yeah. No. Wait, it is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dan. Sorry. Sorry to break it to you. It's just past Mars, actually. It's its own planet. Yeah. Okay. So, guys, to bring this all back around to J.R.R. Tolkien, I guess what I'd have to say is her writing style really reminded me of his in a lot of mm-hmm. places. Yeah. Are you just self-promoting for J.R.R., or yeah. do you actually feel that way? No, I don't feel that way at all. Because her, <laughs> her writing is very concise, to the point, witty, and his writing is... It's whip-smart, yeah. Yeah. Her, his, she really is, like... I, not to this is going to be the only comparison i ever make to any writer ever but like like really reminds me a lot of like aaron sorkin writing of just like i knew you were gonna say well it's that. just like but the thing is they do it, talk like, fast it's yeah it's just like really fast-paced dialogue but also you like fully understand what everyone's feeling and what everyone's doing and i think one of the things like sorkin talks a lot about because i've listened to every podcast interview whatever (laughs) is the idea of even if you miss like a couple line of dialogues here or there if something's like well written just in like the sound of it and the performance of it like you get what's happening you know you don't need to understand every single detail um and i think that's true with her writing as well where yeah it's not always what's said it's like how it's said is that 100 percent. like i don't know if i genuinely like like fully heard every let's say line of dialogue during that dinner scene like there might have been quick cross cuts that you know or people talking over each other where it's like oh what but like you know what's happening like you fully under- are aware of what's happening and you totally get the whole thing without needing that so yeah and maybe you're not even meant to yep so that's my uh, everything. that's my J.R.R. Tolkien talk for today <laughs> that turned Sorry into Aaron Sorkin talk yeah <laughs> yep exactly just a linguist yeah. Well, he is just a linguist, to be fair. Are we going to have a segment on every episode where it's like J.R. Tolkien chime? But then I just talk about Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, I want to know, did you guys have a favorite, like, scene or moment or line from, like, each season, maybe? Because I wrote mine, and that's what most of my paragraphs of notes are, so... Do you guys have any, like, moments that stood out from each season? Okay, Marco, go first, because I need to think of my <laughs> okay. season one moment. I know my season two moment, okay. but you can go first. Here's what we'll do. We'll do... I will do mine, Dan will do his, and then Carol can just read through... <laughs> Neither of us Yeah, know. and then Carol can read through her entire list, and You'll we'll just go... Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. The end of the episode. <laughs> we'll, we'll just go, hey, remember that? Yeah, that was cool. Um, here's mine. Um, from season two in terms of like favorite scene like anything at the dinner table season two episode one for me was just like it's so up my alley and I was like oh this is great like I could just watch like six hours of this this is fantastic Um, I also loved all the moments of Fleabag with the priest when like (laughs) something about like like going against religion would happen and then like a picture would fall like anything like that was just like it's so it's such like an old sitcom like joke but it was just so funny every time it happened i was like oh that's great (laughs) that's really funny but then Um, it also like 
backed up why in the end ultimately i'm sure we'll talk about it he chose god yeah because there wasn't ever a moment where he's yeah. like oh maybe like god doesn't exist or like my love's stronger or, like no like god was there to remind him every single time he chose fleabag over him like none of yeah. bad idea <laughs> exactly yeah so those, those would be mine i think if i had to pick a season one moment um I think I would just pick the opening scene because I was like, okay, Caroline is making me watch this show. What is this show? And then I like that scene happened, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna watch this show. That's really funny. I like that. <laughs> okay, um, I think my season one moment would be I think it was like episode four when they're at the retreat. Yep. Mm. And um, so, Fleabag, like, well, actually, I guess I'll just quickly mention before that. In I think the the very first episode, she applies for a loan for her cafe, and the loan broker is talking about how like like the bank has gone through a bunch of sexual harassment, like lawsuits and stuff. So in season or sorry episode four, when she's at this like retreat, um, she runs into this guy again, and um, it turns out he's there because like he was caught in a sexual harassment uh, like lawsuit. And there's just a really nice conversation between those two. It, it, it gets really sad, too. Like, it's very dramatic. Um, just about, like, redemption in general. I just like that moment a lot. I think that's my favorite season one moment. Um, season two, definitely my favorite moment is when uh, Fleabag brings the priest to the cafe. And he's, like, playing around with Hillary, the, uh, the guinea pig. And he's the first character that likes the guinea pig which is obviously like hugely symbolic but it's also the scene where like Fleabag gives a like a little look to the camera and then the priest also does and it's like it's played off so comedically it, again like especially with his energy what's the name of the actor I can't, I can't remember. remember his name either but he's great he's he's Moriarty on Sherlock yeah. anyway he's Andrew super Scott. he's super charismatic Andrew Scott right yes thank you um but yeah, when when that's the first time I think that he like explicitly looks at the camera too, and like it, it's just it's played off so charismatically, and it's just it it felt really joyous that he was now able to do this too. I don't know why it felt really welcoming for me. Yeah. But yeah, those are my two moments. Okay. So Can I just say surprise. quickly? Yes. I know Carol's gonna, gonna go down her that. list, but I just want to <laughs> say quickly because I totally forgot. Um. Because. I think the retreat episode, like, if I had to rank the episodes in season one, is probably overall on the lower end for me. There's lots of stuff in that where I'm like, whatever, take it or leave it. But all the stuff about the guys who, like, got caught doing sexual harassment, and they're all, like, really aggressive, like, in their, like, like whatever, like, they're trying to get, like, better. Shouting at sex dolls. Oh, oh my God. That was, like, the funniest thing. I was, like, I was dying. Yeah, because, again, like, that episode... Yeah, it was like there were parts where not lost me, but I was just like, okay, this is another episode in the show. But when when <laughs> when that kind of stuff was happening, I was like, that's great, that's really awesome. Some of my favorite stuff from season one. Well, I think one of the reasons that I really liked that episode, it might have been one of my favorites from season one, um, because like I noticed, well, it's it's pretty easy to notice that the women's side of the retreat, it's a it's a split like women's side and men's side, and the women couldn't talk, and all the men were told to do was like shout and be verbal and i thought like that's obviously like 
it's so unfair that the women's side are not allowed to say anything and the men are allowed to say whatever they want. So I just loved how that played into the theme of the show. Mm. I think that's really why I like that episode a lot. Anyway, sorry, Carol, you can get to your Well, that was also one of my favorite episodes because obviously I couldn't pick one because that's who I am as a person. Um, But yeah, I like that she had to slip in that like commentary and like it was just so hilarious to see the two side by side. Um, But also, Marco, you were saying like it was just kind of another episode and nothing really happened. But I really liked the episode because I liked how they tied in that she like Fleabag finally revealed that Martin tried to kiss her at Claire's birthday um, and how Claire kind of like ran away from that news initially. Um, I, I liked how, cause like I, it made sense to me that it was revealed that way because they like weren't really close and like it wouldn't have come up organically in any other way necessarily. Um, but yeah, so I liked that episode for that reason and also just all of, all of the comedy that that brought was fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. but I think overall the season one finale was my favorite just because of how everything was revealed, like Claire showed up to this exhibition with Martin despite having told Fleabag at the end of the last episode like she was going to break up with him and move to Finland and pay for her to keep running the cafe um, and even how because I think that was the first time that out loud it was said what Fleabag had done to Boo because it was in that moment where Claire was like how yeah. could I believe you after what you did to Boo and then I think is finally when all of the pieces of the puzzle finally came together I think you're right yeah yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, and so, like, despite, like, knowing that that's probably what happened, like, just the way it was revealed was so shocking and brutal, and just seeing her get so drunk after and just drop the glasses, which, I mean, thank God, because the stepmother, or godmother, not stepmother, I guess, yet, but the godmother asking her to work, oh, that was so frustrating. I don't know why she went along with it in the first <laughs> mm-hmm. place. And so seeing her break those glasses, even though it wasn't really anything explicitly to do with the godmother, was just so, so good to see. And then her talk with the insurance guy at the end really got to me um, when he, like, decided to review her loan application. And he's like, oh, I thought it was a cafe for guinea pigs. (laughs) Um, But she just, like, (laughs) broke down and was talking about, like, how utterly alone she feels and how she feels like her value is tied only to sex and being viewed as a sexual person and how it like she either is insane or everyone feels the same way and no one's talking about it like I think there's only really two moments in the series where she kind of breaks down like that and has those monologues where like maybe there's things that we see or she hints at but like explicitly saying what she's thinking and how she's feeling to another person and it just like it it hits you so hard because it's so rare that's season one <laughs> yeah it is it, it is kind of rare for her character i think the only other time i think oh sorry dan you can go i was actually i think we we're gonna say the same thing but i'm assuming the other time from season two was in the uh, confessional yeah. when she's yeah when she's talking to the priest which is also a great so great scene. phenomenal scene um yeah, yeah that scene is uh it's great from start to finish and just like the it's just it's it's such a cool thing of like you establish that like there's this priest character and so like she's gonna spill her guts in a confessional it's just such a like a it's like an obvious framing device but at the same time i don't know it was just it was i feel like it was well done the whole thing overall so good good use of that 
Good use of Catholicism. Are they <laughs> Catholic? No, they're English, right? <laughs> they're they're English. They so wouldn't be Catholic. I think it's Catholic. No, because remember, like that Didn't they, the they one. Um, no, because remember, guys, <laughs> they were, but then there was that. But I thought they mentioned that it was. Catholic. There was that one king who like wanted to divorce oh, his wife, so he was, was like, so "I'm going to start ago. a new religion." Yeah, but that's their religion. Not anymore. I think they have Catholic priests now. But I'm pretty sure that's like the majority religion there still. But I'm pretty sure in the first episode of season he two, specifically we do not Catholic? have fact they, checkers. Yeah. We cannot okay. be saying. <laughs> do okay. not listen to anything we're saying. Someone out there listening right now, can you Someone just let double us check know. for us? Listen, yeah, whether or not like he's Catholic, if he, if they say that in the first episode, then I guess it is Catholic. So I stand by my first statement. But just to get the historical context right, <laughs> that's not the majority religion there, I'm pretty sure. Doesn't matter. Thanks, Marco. <laughs> J.R.R. Tolkien told me. There's the tie-in. He's just a historian, yeah. right? <laughs> but also, speaking of confessional scene, you guys are tying this in so well. That was my favorite scene. I one of, obviously, once again, two favorite scenes of season two. Um, once again, just because, like, seeing her, like, break down like that, um, I mean, obviously, yeah, we did kind of expect it to happen, but just, like, the energy and, like, the tension and, like, the way it was filmed, I guess that's one of the times that I, like, noticed kind of the editing and the setup of it explicitly, and I also, Mm -hmm. like, watched a video breaking down that scene, um, because of course I did, um, but just like it felt like you were there and like you could feel the sexual tension but also like her sadness and just like how like fed up she was almost with the situation and with her life and like it was one of the I mean I think it was one of the first times that the tie-in between like her and her thoughts and Catholicism was kind of explicitly mentioned because she said she wishes she had someone to tell her what to do every day kind of like he tells people based on the word of God Um, and so that tie-in was just so like subtle and perfect and also just her speech was just so relatable because I think we're all like pretty young we're young adults and just like not knowing what to do every day and feeling like the decisions you make sometimes aren't the best ones and just if you had someone who could tell you the right thing to do at any time you think that's what you want and like how nice that would be but but yeah that was that was definitely a a breakdown moment for me (laughs) until episode six when I cried even more I watched that I've seen the finale I think three extra times just on its own because like I've ended a night and been like I don't really want to watch a new show let's just destroy my emotions with the series finale of Fleabag again right it also kind of I it oddly connects to uh Lord of the Rings when I think about it because <laughs> Fleabag gets the sad ending and Clara gets the happy ending. So Fle- just like Frodo? Sam and Frodo. Fleabag Frodo. FF. There we go. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Claire and Sam. <laughs> Claire. Claire and Sam, yeah. <laughs> the, the dynamic duo. Yeah, the finale just tied like ended what I guess what we know of all the relationships like so well like she had that discussion with her father and they seem to like now understand each other a bit better and Claire finally tells Martin to leave her like thank god but like that was just such a fun scene to watch too um 
That felt good. Yeah, that was so good. And when she ran, like, took off her wig and ran away to be with other Claire, especially <laughs> yeah. after initially, she's like, what would I do? Go to the airport? What if I knew what his terminal was? How crazy would I be? Like, uh, it was just so fantastic. And then, obviously, the priest choosing God and his whole speech at the wedding and how, like, it started to dawn on her, his choice. And then they had to sit at that damn bus stop and talk about it oh and she finally said she loved him and he loved her and just it'll pass oh it was just it was a lot <laughs> i wasn't i was not expecting that actually i i really thought that they were going to end up together really and i know that's obvious that seems like the more um like cliche i guess the more yeah the more cliche ending yeah. but i felt my one complaint is i felt like it would have been a more fitting ending if that had happened mm. just like me personally interesting but. it's a real yeah I, w- I really wasn't expecting that it's a real uh bella jacob edwards situation oh God, from twilight it. you know marco just watched twilight <laughs> listen fleabag is bella the the pr- well see this doesn't really work because she doesn't choose anyone at the end it doesn't have to the work. priest is bella fleabag is jacob and god is edward interesting there we go you're because the Edward. priest, the priest choose well, no, because Bella is with Edward at the end of the, the movies, right? Yeah, fair. Okay. I can't confirm. I'd also just like to say you will at some uh, point, Dan. <laughs> I'm looking at a study right here. Uh, a study? I'll I'll cite it in a second. Oh my but god, the, is this about the, the religion? <laughs> the majority religion in the UK. Oh my god! At fifty nine point five percent. Is Christian, not Catholic, Christian. Okay. Okay? Okay. And this study is a very serious study done by study-ukbritishcouncil.org. It's a .org. Okay. You got to pay attention. Okay? okay? There you go. I was right. Okay. Dumb question. Is Christianity yes. a branch of Catholicism or Catholicism a branch of Christianity? Catholicism is a brand of, I guess if you want to use the word brand, is a brand of Christianity. She said brand. Yeah. Oh, brand. I thought she said brand. brand. I was like, yeah, brand, I guess. I don't know. Okay. No, Christianity is like the whole thing. And then there's like okay. Catholicism. And then there's like the UK one. And then there's like other ones. There's like, there's a bunch. There's like Protestant. Okay. There's like a whole so you bunch. you said they're Christian. So they are 59.9% Christian. And like okay. there is, you know, Very obviously a Catholic yeah. Catholics within that, but. Okay. You can continue on now, Caroline, now that I've suitably disra- derailed everything. I mean, obviously I love it all, but just those were some moments that hit me extra hard. Because I think it's interesting that we've done this podcast because we all kind of come from different backgrounds. Like, Marco, you already mentioned you're, like, the writer, and then Dan, I mean, you just, like, study cinema, so you like all of the camera stuff also. Um, but I'm just here for the emotion. That's it. <laughs> Whatever. I, if something makes me feel something, I'm in. That's what I focus on the the writing and obviously the cinematography contributes to that but that is not what i think of when i then think of the show it's just this made me feel so so sad and so so happy and so seen and just so good i mean that's like that's the rawest take so that's kind of the most valuable one right yeah but also like the most basic and uninformed and no theory behind it just i feel good (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, like, and I mean, I guess this goes to a larger discussion about 
<laughs> like what is the purpose of art because <laughs> like yeah, uh, yeah i think that's that is the purpose exactly <laughs> I, I, i'd agree with you on that dan like I, dan and i can sit here and talk about like really specific technique type things but at the end of the day like it really doesn't matter if you didn't fucking like the show so yeah, yeah. It, it comes down to like was this impressionable like did it leave an effect or not and this is kind of unrelated but i was looking through my notes again and we were talking about like what we think the camera means and stuff um and in interviews phoebe waller bridge she doesn't really say much about like what means what or why something happened but she just refers to like her talking to the audience as her secret camera friend i don't know why or what that means Okay. Makes it sound a lot less deep than we said, but that's what she calls it. Oh yeah, and actually, even during the episode, I think in season two when she's uh, cashing in the uh, um, the therapy <laughs> voucher, <laughs> doesn't she actually mention that like when she's asked if she has friends, she gestures to the the camera yeah. as well? I think she just like, like looks sort of us, signifying yeah. that the audience are her friends. Yeah, which is kind of sad because like we're not real technically in the the story of her world but that's another issue i'm sure she's working through now that she's said goodbye to us her secret camera friend (laughs) how do we feel about that very finite ending of we're definitely not getting any more fleet bag content good it makes sense and and i mean like i mean that in a way of like it's perfect how it is It would just be, like, pandering to the audience and, like, a money grab if she were to make more. Like, the fact that she even made a season two, like, I know she obviously wrestled with it. And I think if I watched season one after it came out and then had that break and then heard a season two is being made, I would probably kind of be like, what is going to happen? Like, why? But, yeah, the way it ended, it wouldn't make sense at all to have any more. The difference uh, between the British model and the American model a lot of the times with writers is that the British model, like... Once they're done telling a story, they like fully just let them stop and they don't badger them for more. So, I mean, pretty famously, I think most people's like touchstone with that would be The Office, um, like the original British show, which only had two seasons. And then they were like, yeah, we're done. Um, and I guess, you know, there's pros and cons, right? Because if you like, I would say like the Americans Office best stuff was probably like seasons three to whenever Jim and Pam's wedding is. Five. Um, <laughs> six yeah i would say like their wedding should have probably been the end of the show but that's a that's a discussion for another day um (laughs) so there's pros and cons but i i like that she told her thing and if she ever has an idea where she's like i really want to come back to this like they'd probably let her um but no one's like gonna force her like for the sake of hey this show made money like you need to make another season which again we'll talk about another episode (laughs) <laughs> kind of happened to the West Wing a little bit, so well, we can we can. Oh, oh really? I'm about to start so, watching it. So that how many seasons does not excite that me. <laughs> so West Wing had seven. Um, I only have provided okay. you with the first four. <laughs> the first four were the ones written by Sorkin and directed by his partner Tommy Shlomi. He's they like they're like partners. <laughs> oh, I've heard of Tommy. Is that actually That's literally his name? <laughs> also, um, for both of you, I know Carolina knows this. Dan as well. There's a podcast called The West Wing Weekly. I would highly recommend listening to that with every episode. It's great. I will. But long story short, okay. um, after season four, uh, Sorkin was, I guess, running out of juice a little bit to be able to write like all 24 episodes. Um, and so they were like, well, we'll just let other people write. And he was like, well, no, like this is my thing that I'm doing. And then they were like, well, no, because it's making money. 
And so he was like, well, fuck you. And then he left. So then it went on for three seasons after without Sorkin. Um, season five, not great. And then season six and seven, they kind of like ended the show pretty well, I think, overall. But it still kind of felt totally different. Um, so I'm just, I'm glad that that's not going to happen to Fleabag. I'm glad that, you know, some other hot up and coming person isn't just going to like get to write the property because it made money and they own it or whatever. It's like, no, like this was her thing and she did it and she gets to see it out. So, yeah. I too am very glad that that's not going to happen for the record. Okay. But then some overarching things. What do you think is the meaning of the fox? Like the priest being chased by a fox we initially think is just in his head, but then in the end proves to probably be true. <laughs> I have a theory. Go ahead. I don't, so go ahead, Marco. <laughs> I think it's a very clever metaphor for him being foxy. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> if that's I mean, I don't it, know what else Carolina, it could be. what do you think? I would be so, so bad. Okay, I hadn't really thought about it until I watched an interview with her and Stephen Colbert. And so he asked her, what do you think the fox is? And she's like, I can't tell you, but what do you think? Um, And he came up with this super deep, super profound metaphor, because there's a poem by Francis Thompson that was written, I think, in like the late 1800s called like the Hound of Heaven. And it starts with, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways out of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him and under running laughter. And for some reason, Stephen Colbert knew that poem by heart and was like, (laughs) that's what Fleabag's about. Like, that's what the fox is. Um, She kind of explicitly said, like, I wish it was that deep and that cool, but it's not. Um... Yeah, I don't have any idea. I just kind of wanted to toss in the Stephen Colbert thought because that was super intriguing to me that his mind went there, first of all. <laughs> this is a real English teacher scenario here. Yeah, literally. <laughs> because I feel like Stephen Colbert is doing the English teacher thing of like, let's read into it. And as someone who has like listened to a lot of writers talk about like their writing process. Yeah, it's never. I am <laughs> almost, I am 95% certain that it was like, hey, like, this would be a funny joke. What animal should we pick? And then they were like, oh, he's supposed to be a hot priest, so I don't know, a fox? That's funny. I am 95% sure that's how that came about. But... Yeah, I didn't yeah. I didn't have any other theory for that, so I'd probably have to agree. Yeah. I think people are putting too much, um, too much weight into it, is what yeah, you're I saying. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. It's like that phenomenon of, like, after you go through a breakup and, like, every song is, like, exactly written tailored to like fit your life and it's just because like you're searching for meaning in it um if i had to guess i would say it's probably just like a joke but you know (laughs) it it can serve as a metaphor if you're stephen colbert and you know a random poem (laughs) that's yeah fair okay and then why other random things yes why (laughs) of course i have so many (laughs) random things (laughs) and this one just came to me while we were recording um but yeah we don't know fleabag's name but why do you think it's Fleabag? Yeah, that's a good like, question, too. What a random too. name thing. Like, I don't even... Like, before this show, I've never thought of the words Flea and Bag together in any way. I think it's just, like... I think it's sort of a self-deprecating, almost as if she gave herself that name because she's just so disgusted with her lifestyle choices. 
when we meet her that is not towards the end but that's kind of that's what i assumed anyway i have a vague memory that may or may not be a false memory (laughs) of hearing somewhere that that was a reference that she put in deliberately to something from her life i could be totally wrong on that then well, let's assume I am. We have no fact checkers, so I'm because I have take no fact. I have no fact. way of. <laughs> I have no way of, and honestly, like you have prepared pages of notes. So if you didn't find that reference somewhere in an interview, most of the notes were just my feelings. <laughs> the okay. actual factual notes, like from her notes. and from interviews, are like a few lines. It's mostly just okay. me being like, "I loved this. This was so good. I want to talk about this." <laughs> I thought I heard that somewhere, but um, if that's not the case, then. I really haven't. I have no idea. I can't speculate as to what that. Yeah, because I've never heard that expression either. I would assume yeah. like Dan. It's probably just supposed to be self-deprecate. It's one of those things where, I, like we were talking about earlier, like the meaning of the words is less important as like what they sound like and like what it elicits. And like flea bag is just like a, like, lethargic, disgusting. yeah, disgusting. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> okay, and I don't really have any more prompts left, but I feel like we haven't talked about the godmother enough. I want to know your opinions of her, because we talked about favorite characters, and obviously she isn't going to be one, because she's the worst. Um, But yeah, just like, what did you think? What did you feel? Because I had a friend who I I obviously forced to watch this, and she was watching it, and she said, like, there were multiple times where, like, the godmother character just was so infuriating, and it seemed like, and I guess it kind of, like, she was so horrible and never really got got like we never saw her get her just desserts like martin yeah obviously he was trash and so we saw him then get broken up with but nothing really happened to the godmother and arguably she was equally as horrible of a person so thoughts (laughs) i agree she was i mean probably the second worst character behind martin (laughs) Martin's I would say the absolute worst and we can also talk more about him I feel like um but yeah for the godmother slash stepmother um I think you're right she didn't really get her just desserts but when she like her marrying Fleabag's father Fleabag and Claire's father um it was kind of like a tragic (laughs) moment like she had already corrupted her father, even though Fleabag and her father had made amends by the end, um, that relationship was sort of doomed already. And it was to serve a lesson for Fleabag's future relationships and Claire's future relationships as well. Yeah, she is, um, I mean, she's a real bitch, man. Like, just let's put that out on front street. She is the worst. But I, I want to give a quick shout out, though, to Olivia Coleman, who plays yes. her. because oh yeah that is like a phenomenal performance of just like loving to hate someone you know what i mean of just like that like oh my god this is like the worst person ever but like yeah she just plays in such a way where it's like she relishes it so much and it's great um she was very professor umbridge from harry and that's exactly and i had to look up for a second yeah to make sure that it wasn't the same person that's exactly the analogy i was gonna make it's like it is Oh, sorry. No, no, you're totally good. It is the <laughs> Professor Umbridge, like, relationship, I guess, right? Where she's not, I guess, the primary um, antagonist, I guess you could say. But she kind of serves to build up the protagonist in a way where they can, like, overcome the overall struggle or whatever. Um, and I think 
she plays the same role in this very umbrage like role in multiple ways but i think yeah her overall role in the story in this definitely like is that right like there are bigger things going on but it's like confronting her and what goes on there is uh significant to fleabag's character development and being able to then like solve the bigger stuff that's going on in the story so yeah yeah and just to say i know i said in the end she doesn't get her just desserts but if we ever do get people that like yell at us in the comments i know in the end she stole the statue back and like in theory that was her getting even and getting back at her but i just don't think that's enough (laughs) personally like she slapped her in the face yeah and her father saw and like nothing like nothing came of that like that's ridiculous yeah and even the statue thing it's it's sort of by the end of the series it's like oh okay this is just going to be a back and forth thing that'll probably go on even more in their lives so it's not really like getting back at her as much as it is like a here we go again moment so yeah i don't think that was enough either for just desserts quote unquote i couldn't think of the the word (laughs) no that's right i don't know i'm just gonna i'm gonna use that yeah that's an expression too going forward i know Um, but i was thinking of a word and it didn't come to me you know when that happens yeah all the time punishment all the time punishment (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to see her punished (laughs) uh i'm of two minds about it i get what you guys are saying um and yeah, in that, like, it was so satisfying in Harry Potter when Umbridge just gets wrecked by the... I think Spoilers. it's the centaurs, right, that end up taking her. Um, yeah. Which would have been satisfying to see, but... Centaurs? Yeah. <laughs> taking the godmother. <laughs> yes. No, that exact scene. Would have, like, they just take her to a forest, and for some reason those guys are there. Um, I, I do... I mean, what you guys are saying, right, about her stealing the statue again and it feeling like this small thing, but I, I think... Yeah, I guess her cat. Yeah, let loose, that too. I I guess that's more like oh yeah, more to be. I don't know. It's, it, for a series that's so deliberate, I kind of feel like that's an acknowledgement of, well, this is a like a terrible person that's in my life. But just because there's a terrible person in your life doesn't mean that they're always gonna lose. Like terrible people yeah. exist, and like I have to deal with others. Like I have to deal with my shit, and like here's this terrible person, and like we're gonna have a constant battle. But like to resolve that would feel. I guess antithetical to like what the show is and in the same way with the ending where like as satisfying as it would have been for them to be together in terms of like what the show is and what it's about and like Fleabag's growth um it's not as satisfying as an audience member but I feel like it makes sense in the story itself but yeah I mean I would have loved to see her get wrecked and that would have been great because she is evil so yeah it is more realistic that way though and i yeah i understand this isn't a fantasy show where everything's gonna end up perfectly although i think i yeah if if it did end up that way i I know i would have liked it less so as much as i'm saying i did want to see her suffer get punished have her just desserts i i don't do think it would have taken away from from the show yeah i mean it would have felt weird if horrible yeah it would have felt weird if the show like not to be a downer but if it, it would have felt weird if like everything ended up working out for her yeah. you know what i mean if it was like aha and like i got rid of her and also like stuff ended up working out with the priest or even if like none of both of those things happened but even if one of those things happened i think it's like that immediate satisfaction of like oh yay like this character has the thing but then the more you think about it it's like i don't know if that really works overall and i, I guess like if you're starting from that end point you could have like changed stuff earlier on to then make it kind of feel more natural in the show but just for like the tone of the show 
um i kind of feel like she need she does need to have that moment of like not fully resolving everything in the best way at the end um but you know there's different felipe gets her just as exactly exactly yeah and like we did see her work on herself and like parts of her life did improve it would it would be very weird if everything did like it's nice that the cafe worked out because she came up with a new idea and got alone and her relationship with her sister did improve and her relationship with her dad improved and she lost weight and got fit as we saw in the first episode of season two um but yeah i guess not everything works out um so that also is kind of what was extra heartbreaking too because it was like oh yeah that is real life we can't yeah. <laughs> like we can't always get what we want damn well and i think i mean to go i think in, yeah go on dan no go ahead go i was ahead. just gonna say like going back to her speech in the church and the confessional that we have established is a catholic church um <laughs> i think <laughs> i'm just gonna keep bringing that one up so we can't edit it out i'm thinking that um like in, you're editing this one so it's in that yeah, it's on you. <laughs> i'm gonna put i'm gonna put just a series of drops in here of me saying something ridiculous um <laughs> what i was gonna say was that in that scene uh, in the confessional and she talks about like having someone make decisions for you or whatever like that's a big part of it and like how much easier that would be and that kind of stuff I, I think the stuff that gets resolved by the end of the series is stuff that gets resolved like because of her ability to take control of like her own life and her own actions and then the stuff that's left not resolved is stuff that she couldn't control um, and I think that's part of the show as well where it's like well your stepmother is a bitch and like there's nothing you can do about that and like this priest is always going to choose god over you there's nothing you can do about that but like here are the things you can control and like here are the choices you can make so you make those ones um which seems to be kind of a theme of the show but yeah and another way that i guess you can sort of think about it too is claire is now going to go on to live the life that fleabag wants for herself but she's now able to inspire claire to live it for her even if she won't be able to or immediately be able to Claire is like sort of continuing it's like it's like the the good ending versus the bad ending like we were talking about before yeah. so now Claire gets to uh, enjoy those moments when Fleabag maybe can't because of what she learned from her sister yeah yeah Claire's arc was almost as satisfying as Fleabag's arc it was really fun to watch her grow because she was also kind of infuriating at the beginning just how like of a, much of a tight ass she was like so serious all the time so angry all the time yeah. i mean it makes sense why because she was in an entertaining, yeah, in an entertaining way, way you didn't hate her ever and like seeing who she lived with you kind of get it um <laughs> i wouldn't be the happiest person speaking of which can we talk more about <laughs> yeah let's yeah. do it let's let's end this with a nice deep dive on martin <laughs> <laughs> you you brought up a really good point before and i was thinking about this one as i was watching too is like He's a horrible character, but he's one of the most yeah. interesting on screen for sure. Like any any scene that he was in, I was like, I'm in <laughs> to hate this guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's um, just the scum of the earth. You know what I mean? He's just like the worst. Like, oh my god, I I can't stand him. That being said, again, like with Olivia Coleman, could not have casted that role better. Um, no. That guy is just like so good at he's such just a worm. being a worm. Like literally, like you know, like Worm Tongue from Lord of the Rings. That's his name, right? Like the guy when um, the priest 
Um, yeah. Not the priest, but like when Gandalf shows up and does an exorcism, not to make every episode of a Lord of the Rings or whatever, but there's that like that that like wormy guy there. Like it's literally Martin. So, yeah. He does an exorcism? I just watched these movies. Remember, because there's what's the king's name? Well, you like. Theoden. Theoden's all like old. When like Saruman's yes, yes, yes. talking through Theoden. Yes. And yeah. then Gandalf shows up and he like rips his cloak off and he's Gandalf the White now and yeah. then everyone's like oh shit and yeah. then he does an exorcism <laughs> yeah good that, times yeah. I'm I'm right there with you now yeah yeah so totally the same character <laughs> yeah I'm glad we bothered to bring up Lord of the Rings <laughs> again J.R.R. would be remiss if I didn't so I thought you're I honestly thought you're gonna say Worm Tongue from Harry Potter the rat can we guy? keep oh, him too that. Peter I haven't Pettigrew. seen that yet. Wait till I. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. I, I keep forgetting that. You I referenced Twilight. I I haven't even finished it yet. I'm just making assumptions because of how obvious the storytelling is. So. <laughs> Can't wait for the Twilight episode. Guys, if you want to see a Twilight episode, share this podcast with your friends. Give, give it a like. Comment Let down us know. below. <laughs> Comment down below. Obviously, if you're watching on YouTube. Oh yeah, we we should have pointed this out at the start, but. If you are watching this on YouTube and have no context for this, we're also on Spotify now. So, yeah, yeah check we're us on out there. Multiple listening platforms: Spotify, Anchor, a couple I haven't heard of. Maybe, hopefully, eventually, Apple Music or Apple Podcasts. I don't know how that works, um, but it's all in the works. So you don't have to watch; you can just listen if you wish. Exactly. Yeah. So we have multiple multiple options for you guys now. Yeah trying to be okay. accessible reach the masses you know how else are we gonna get famous guys that's the goal boys <laughs> and carol thanks um <laughs> any any final final parting thoughts on fleabag hmm. well i i mean i definitely just want to say like i can't remember if we did a recommendation at the end of episode one but whether we did or whether we didn't i have to recommend this to anyone listening like or watching no, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I have to recommend this. I knew nothing about it a week ago, and I mean, like, I'm in love with the show now. Another convert. So I feel like anyone could easily get into this. I mean, now we've ruined quite a bit of it, so I hope they would have watched it before. But honestly, it's worth it, even if now you know everything that happens. Still go back. You'll have a great time. You'll laugh a lot. You'll cry. Yeah. I've definitely listened to podcasts about stuff that I haven't seen yet, and then when I go back to watch it, like, I'm, I don't feel ruined by Just because, like, listening to it and not having context for what it actually is, a lot of it, like, goes over your head. So, I would say, if you did listen to this and haven't seen Fleabag, first of all, thank you, because why are you listening to this? <laughs> but, second of all, definitely go watch Fleabag. It's great. I think my final parting thought on Fleabag would just be that it's great. And she's awesome, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and hopefully she gets to keep doing more stuff. I know she was in Solo, a Star Wars story. Yeah, which really depresses me. <laughs> what a waste. Um, God, that droid is such a. Hopefully, there's better things <laughs> in her. Career. Have you guys oh, seen droid. Killing Eve? No. She writes that show. Season three just came out. She's already been like covered in Emmys for it. Very good. Highly, highly it's on recommend. Netflix, right? It's not on Netflix. It's on Crave. Oh. Um. But yeah, if 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 you need, I can uh, hook you up with the login for that. But also highly recommend. It's also hilarious and like 
multifaceted you are feel all the emotions and also yeah just to get to see a really hot girl killing people it's a good time oh yeah so we that's should cool. maybe eventually talk about that too but that's what she's working on now and it's fantastic and apparently she also did an edit on the newest james bond she did yeah she was the script doctor they brought her in oh. um at some point during the writing process to do some rewrites oh sweet yeah. okay so if I'm that pretty... ever comes out in theaters, I don't know when it was supposed to or if it has, but that's that something movie we looked, can talk about. It was already supposed to, but... <laughs> that movie looks so good. It looked like Casino Royale, <laughs> like Skyfall level James Bond good. You know what I mean? So good. The cast, dope. Oh my god. And then COVID. What are you going to do? COVID. Okay. Carol, you want to summarize anything about Fleabag? You want to say anything else? I mean, I'm obviously also going to tell everyone to watch it because as I said at the beginning, it's my life's mission. I, I think mm. the world would be a better place if everyone watched Fleabag. I have nothing to back that up, but I truly believe it. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I would die if I ever met her. Thank God she exists. Yeah, I yeah, don't she is. Um, she's an exciting one. To, we're going to have to watch her career because... I have a feeling she is going to mm-hmm. probably end up like winning Oscars and stuff. Like if she wants to transition to film or whatever, or obviously she's going to end up like just still winning en- like Emmys if she sticks to TV. But she is. Yeah, and this show, yeah. what did it win? Like six Emmys itself, I think. Yeah, it won a bunch. I don't know the exact number, but it was yeah. pretty successful on that front as well. Not just like fan, but also critically acclaimed, which doesn't happen all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Excellent show. Yeah, yeah it's great. Okay. So what Thanks, are we guys. talking about next time? Should we give people well, a heads up? We can. Do we want to say Have we decided? It? Are you guys both on board with what you're making? Oh, we've want? decided. <laughs> yes. Okay. So okay, take it away. I guess you might as well um, give them a little yeah. right, right Stick now. with me here, folks, okay? Oh, no. <laughs> Sticking with this theme of two people having not seen something, one person having to watch something for the first time. Two people having that means... seen something. Yeah. You said it the wrong way, but it's fine. Oh, I did. Okay. Other way around. <laughs> Flip that, reverse it. I don't know. Whatever. You know what Willy Wonka says, you know? Okay. So strike, strike that, that reverse it. it. Remember we had like in grade nine, like a religion teacher who's, oh, you guys probably weren't in my class, but like <laughs> I definitely had a, re- no, I remember Were that. Were you in my class? You know who I'm talking about? <laughs> I think. And he always used to make that joke and I was like, shut up. Like, just don't talk. Anyway. Um, <laughs> we'll talk off air about it, but um <laughs> Long, long story short, boys and girls, is that Dan and Carol are making me watch a quote-unquote horror movie <laughs> by the one and only king of pretentious filmmaking, Mr. Darren Aron- Aronofsky. Yeah. Um, yeah. From such films as Requiem for a Dream... And also a Batman adaptation that never came out because it was so bad. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so we're going to be watching Mother. Exclamation point. Very point. important. And case M. I'm curious, guys. I'm just <laughs> yeah. going to put this out there right now. Because I know what the movie's about. Yes. But when people say they don't like it, uh, the comeback to that is always, well, you didn't understand it. And I know what this movie's about, and I'm kind of like, I don't know how I could not understand it, because it seems fairly obvious. So, 
we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens next episode. It may or may not be me yelling into the mic for an hour and a half straight. Um, I'm curious. You guys have both seen it just yep. once, I think, for both of you, right? Yeah, I'll give it another. Just another once. Pass. I saw it in theaters. Ooh, that's oh, interesting. Damn. <laughs> oh damn. <laughs> I feel so bad for you. <laughs> Yeah, we'll yeah, talk so about that next week, but just so we will. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about we'll talk about it all next week. If you guys want to watch it, it is not on streaming anywhere, so you will have to rent it on YouTube or pirate <laughs> it because yeah. that's the kind of movie I'm going to be pirating it. when I when yeah. I unless you unless you already own it on Blu-ray because it's your favorite movie, in which case you probably won't want to listen to me talk about it. Um, <laughs> but okay, let's just do some quick math here. Take the amount of people that are listening to us, which is already very yeah. slim. <laughs> <laughs> and then factor out the amount of people that probably possibly own this yeah. movie. It's going to be like maybe a couple people. Yeah. Maybe. Whatever. We could lose okay. those two listeners. Who cares, right? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck them. You know what I mean? If Mother's your favorite movie, get out stop listening. We don't need you here. You know what I mean? You know when people, like, they get really political? You know what would be hilarious? If all of our audience disappeared. That's my... That's my favorite thing, though. It's like when people are like, hey, if you support this person, like, don't listen. If you support Mother, I don't want you. But what if we just happen to have a steep drop in listeners for the next episode and it's totally unrelated? And now we live in a world where we believe that, like, a hundred people just love Mother so much. Well, again, you know what I mean? Just get rid of them. Who cares? Okay. We'll start fresh. We'll get a completely (laughs) new one. Sometimes to build a better world, you have to burn down the one that you're okay Thanos. yeah exactly um, okay so that'll be next week hopefully everyone is prepped for that guys if you know us well let's clarify it'll oh not be next yeah. Yeah. Next, next episode, episode i should say next but... episode so like from whenever you're listening to this assuming you're listening to it on the day it came out because you were really excited <laughs> just two weeks from there a lot of assumptions <laughs> okay. out here around two yeah. weeks um also if you know us and you have suggestions for what you'd like us to talk about, please let us know. If you don't know us, just leave us a comment and let us know what you'd like us to talk about. Um, we do have a list. We have a little list of things that we keep adding stuff to. But if there seems to be, like, legitimate demand for something that people want to hear <laughs> us talk about, we will be happy to talk about it. Um, if not, yeah, then for sure. we'll just go to the trusty old list and come up with something. Yeah. Okay. Well. All right. Carol, Dan, thanks for being here again. Yeah, good to talk to you guys. (laughs) Good to talk to all you guys, to all the listeners. We love you, except the ones who like Mother.